0: This episode of the Out of Bounds podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds podcast and today we have Jason Ahrens on the show. Uh, Jason is the marketing director uh, or the director of marketing depending on how you want to phrase that for surface skis, Coswell clothing and joystick. Um, which has been very much revamped over the past few years under his leadership, his guidance, um, and honestly the stuff that wiggles around inside his head. Um, years of experience in the free ski, ski in the free ski scene. Free ski skiing. That's a new one. Um in the free ski scene, he's uh he's an OG. He's not even an old OG, he's just an OG. Um He also works with FIS as a freeski judge. Um, So it was really cool to get to talk to somebody like that um, and kind of get into the head of like what judging looks like. I feel like judging and referees are always people who never get the credit that they deserve. Um, And that's actually to Jason's point. He had a bunch of complaints about the way that judging was being done. And that's why he decided to do um, or pursue a career in judging. Um, so that being said, he also throws out an offer at the end of this. Uh, So if you're interested in doing some judging in the free ski scene or the snowboard scene or whatever, hit up Jason, he'll get you in touch with the right people, um, start some stuff out. Um, great episode. I actually really, I just enjoy episodes where I get to talk with people in the industry that have been here for a while and you kind of get that insight that you don't get from just anybody and they're very open um, and they actually want to talk about stuff. Um and they don't have to worry about like an agenda. This is uh these are really nice ones for me. Um couple things before we get into sponsors, uh be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify um for the show. It is huge, it helps us a ton. Um I haven't bothered people about it for a while, but it's uh it's really important. So please, please, please leave a review, tell a friend about the show, um, whatever. Um it's been great lately and we want to keep that rolling. Uh, obviously the shows are normally available on YouTube. We have new YouTube review series, um, which are great. Um, shout out to our friend Matt, who is putting all these together, um, for us over here at the collective and, uh, and yeah, there's some new merch dropping this week, some new vintage stuff dropping this week and fuck off and ride your bike stickers dropping. Uh, probably when you hear this. They'll be on the website. So, go get those before I tell everybody on the internet about those. Um, sponsors. Okay. Um, we have two sponsors for today. Uh, one is Fisher Skis. Uh, Fisher, obviously, our title sponsor for the show. We're starting to ramp up. I know it doesn't feel like we're ramping up into ski season, but it's 100-something uh, it's degrees. Now. But you can feel it coming. Like, everybody's talking about it. I'm planning events. Like, that kind of stuff is... Is really starting to roll. I will tell you, this fall, if you buy a product from Fisher, if you're buying one product and you have a kid or a baby or whatever, buy the new Fisher 1 and 2. That is their new kids boot. It is like the first completely redesigned kids boot. That has existed in who knows how long. Like It is, it is insane how long we've gone without having an update in the kids' ski boot space. Um it's easy to get into. It's comfortable. It actually will change their skiing experience because they can actually flex the boot. Um so if you want to start your kids off right, this is basically the balance bike of ski boots. Um so yeah, check that thing out. Fisher 1 and 2. Uh those are up on the Fisher website now. Uh, we have a review dropping very soon of those boots and we talk a little more in depth about them. Um, yeah that's it i mean obviously the new ranger series that stuff's great like big push behind that we'll talk about that more and more and more and obviously we have reviews out now we'll have more reviews out on those things um a redesigned ranger ski boot um it's so much more but we'll talk about all that stuff later FisherSports.com uh to see all of that um, next up we have woodchuck, uh, woodchuck hard cider has been a wonderful partner for us because they make the best Perseco, uh, mimosa, uh, what else they have Bellini Bellini is like the new favorite, I think around here. Um, it's like the peach flavor one. It's not too sweet, but it's like just sweet enough where you're like, this is sick, especially when it's hot out. Um, they also Pretty soon here. I don't know if it's going to be this Friday or next Friday or what. We're giving away some tickets to go to Ciderstock. Um, Ciderstock is basically their big event, their big kickoff for um, over in Woodstock, Vermont, where they basically just host a bunch of music events, bunch of musical groups. Um, it is a show, so to speak. Um, Bleachers will be there along with a bunch of other musical talent. Um, I will be there. I will not be performing any of my songs, um, but it'll, it'll be a great show up in Woodstock, Vermont. Uh, so check out Ciderstock. All the information is on uh, woodchuck.com, uh, and we will obviously be posting a bunch about it ahead of time as well. Um, so without further ado, here is Jason Ahrens uh, of Surface Skis. And yeah, enjoy the episode. See you. We're recording now. So, Jason, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself. We'll kind of do that whole bit first. Um, and then we'll kind of dive into whatever we dive into.
1: Sounds good. Um, yeah, so we're good to go.
0: We're good to go. We're rolling. I am, in theory, okay. I am recording perfectly on my own 100% of this episode.
1: I'm, I'm rolling with that then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, well, yeah, I'm uh, Jason Aarons. Um, long-time skier and uh, have been involved in the judging side of the sport over the past decade uh, after my competitive ski career came to an end. Um, In addition to judging, I also, uh, I guess I would say I'm the director of marketing for Surface, Joystick, and Coswell. However, um, yeah, I kind of just cover all company needs for uh, those three brands uh, being Surface, Coswell, and Joystick.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what what the brands do, what they are. If people aren't familiar with Surface or Coswell or Joystick, like what what is it that you guys do? Obviously, Surface makes keys, Joystick makes poles, Coswell I think is clothing, right? Like, the, what's the yeah. what's the whole bit for people that don't understand what differentiates a Surface product now versus first of all a Surface product ten years ago, and what Surface is doing in twenty twenty two.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, Surface kind of has a elaborate backstory. Um, starting in, I think it was 2004, so we're approaching 20 years of Surface officially being a brand um, in Salt Lake City area, Utah area, more, I guess, south of Salt Lake City. Uh, started as just like an independent ski company trying to do some uh, unique ski designs out of a garage. Um, and really, yeah, Surface for years made a mark as just doing the kind of odd, odd skis that people weren't used to, the three-stage rockers, the really, uh, I mean, they were the first, like, heavily rockered ski I had ever seen, Um, and I got sponsored by Surface in about 2009, and that's when I, like, started to get involved in the company and just, um, like, I was riding the skis. I was a big advocate of the the brand vision and everything, Um, and around that time, Surface purchased Joystick from Anthony Bornowski. Uh, Obviously, Anthony Bornowski Crazy OG legend in the sport uh, had started Joystick, everybody's favorite pole brand. And around that time that I started uh, riding for Surface, is when Joystick actually was acquired by Surface, um, as uh, uh, pretty much just as a way for the pole brand not to be lost in the shuffle. I feel like Joystick was at a a place in which maybe it would have gone away at that point in time. But then um, Surface bought Joystick, and it became part of that umbrella. Um, and then Coswell, uh, kind of like the smaller uh, little, little brother brand of all those, uh, started as an outerwear brand a couple years after that, and that was all under the pre ski brands umbrella, uh, being surface handling the skis, uh, joystick with poles, and Coswell being an outerwear brand, um, for which it's, Coswell has gone through many changes as well as being uh, dormant for quite a while, and now that's kind of part of this. A job that I've been doing now was uh, revamping Surface because for anyone paying close attention to the ski industry, Surface really did have a period of time in which it totally fell off, like really just was not participating in the ski industry and went from being a a major player in my eyes, uh, being a big part of the scene to something that didn't produce skis anymore. And um, so, yeah, uh, Surface was a big one. When I started um, helping out again, I guess, four years ago, um, to bring that brand back, and then JoyStick kind of uh, came along with it, and now uh, part three of the project is beginning the revamp of Coswell and trying to find the direction for where Coswell will go in the
0: future. Yeah, that the Coswell thing is interesting to me because that's that's got to be the hardest, I think, of the three to bring back, right? Like because it's so much more complex because it's not really tech oriented. It is very much like how people feel about it, how it fits. And how like people attach themselves because people attach themselves to clothing brands unlike anything else, right? They do to ski brands for sure, but a lot of these people like you put them on a different pair of skis, they're like, This is a good ski, right? Versus like you put them on any pair of skis. They're so, like in 2022, skis are good, right? Like across the board. If a if a company's making bad skis, they don't exist. Versus clothing, it's really hard to get people to commit to buying a premium quality any kind of outerwear, I guess. Oh yeah. I mean, uh I mean, I, I just was uh,
1: noting that problem the other day. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I read a negative ski review, like a review that said, <laughs> yo, this ski sucks. Like, everything, everyone finds something nice to say. And, like, for the most part, ski design has kind of eliminated bad skis. Like like you said, if they're bad skis, they don't exist theoretically anymore. But, like, outerwear, to be brutally honest, I've been – I was very reluctant to re-enter Coswell back into the outerwear game because I kind of see – the outdoor game is so overly saturated with people that are doing it well that how do you compete with Arterix? How do you compete with North Face, with Patagonia, with all these big brands? And then on the polar opposite end of that, how do you compete with all of these garage brands that are doing it so well themselves? Uh, Like you've got, I mean, you just have so many people that are cutting and sewing their own pants in their um, garage or making their own pants. Uh, You've got any tides um that is like making these pants that are like seemingly exactly what skiing wants right now and like for me to come up with a new innovative idea for outerwear that's not being done in a way that i think is thorough uh is pretty difficult and i i think in like early free skiing you saw the success of saga and lethal descent and even first drop a little bit later with just Mm. offering something that the bigger brands weren't focusing on because the bigger brands didn't really see free skiing as its own category that needed its own outerwear and now everybody like all the bigger brands are making the stuff that free skiing wants and people are still shopping at thrift stores and wearing track pants um skiing most days so it really uh, the outerwear market is incredibly saturated and i feel like is something that just uh it's tough to find yeah where do you identify yourself is it with technical materials is it with the fit is it with the, the specific style are you finding a way to mesh all three and with the reintroduction of coswell that's been my biggest setback is just do i even feel passionate about any one of these directions enough to say there's a hole needing to be filled and we want to fill it um coswell
0: yeah i think you're right it's very much how people attach themselves and people are out there. Like I think of Andy Perry, for example, like it's all summer at hood. He's like skiing in an Adidas tracksuit. Like, and it's, it's great. Like it looks sick, but that shows a lot of people, kids, especially that like, you can just go out there and wear whatever the fuck you want. Like it doesn't have to be technical. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You just go out there and you do you kind of. And I think that that's, that's kind of made it a little, squirrely for a lot of outerwear brands especially in freestyle and freeride because people are like i'm just gonna go skiing like who cares like i skied like at palisades earlier in the year and it was freezing as shit and my buddies just skiing in a hoodie and then later in the day like you warm up you're skiing in a t-shirt and i'm just like all right man like it's it, people just don't give a shit anymore <laughs> totally yeah and i mean um yeah
1: i just i also feel like uh, like with my stylistic choices like if i was going to design something i want to create Something black or something, like Kind of, uh, yeah. Like, how do you differentiate a black pant from North Face, from Patagonia, from these other brands, unless it has like some type of feature, some type of technical feature that that isn't being brought to market by someone else? And I totally see that. Like, I mean, my uh, I had an outerwear sponsor like back in the day, and then like once the outerwear, like I was sponsored by Solomon that was one of my first sponsors. And I was on the full Solomon outerwear program. Then went through a couple other outerwear sponsors and like rode for Coswell through its uh, like outerwear phase before it then transitioned into fly fishing and transitioned out of uh, outerwear. And once that ended, it was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to hit the thrift store and I'm going to buy the cheapest pair of black snow pants that they have available and a coach's jacket. And then whatever I'm going to wear as layers is just sweatshirts and t shirts underneath it. Uh, like right. it just, yeah. I feel like this uh, the the core industry, I guess I'll say, like really resists paying big money for those technical outerwear pieces, unless they desperately need it. You know, people that live in the Northwest need a certain level of waterproofing. Right. People that are touring need a certain level of functionality with their gear. Um, but everyone else, anyone skiing parks, you can get away with track pants. You can get away. I've seen people getting away with sweatpants. Right. Getting, yeah, like, in the park. Right. And uh, it gets a little bit wet, but uh, it, it works.
0: Yeah. It's almost part of it where people are like, look, look at me. I don't give a shit. Right. Like it's part of that vibe.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, one of my favorite uh, like snowboard parts back in the day, I want to say his name was Alex Stasis or Stasis. I never was sure how to pronounce his name, but he filmed his whole part in just a pair of chinos. Like <laughs> tacky pants, not waterproof at all. And it's like, man, that dude Does not care at all. Like I respect that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. I had this like this conversation with Nick Sargent, the president of SIA, like a few months ago where it's like he was asking, how do we make skiing connect more to like general culture? And to me, I'm like, one of the biggest things is that you look at somebody in a ski kit and it's intimidating. Like if you don't ski, it's it's very odd looking. Like you're wearing all this clunky shit, like you got so many items that you have to buy, so many things are required. But as soon as you start like making this on hill, off hill stuff that's that people just wear and they start seeing that in video parts and they start seeing that televised, that bridges a gap because people are like, Oh, I can just go and it's not a big deal, right? You're not like a Jerry. You can just you can just go, right?
1: Totally. And I, I mean I feel like that was uh like the biggest text for that back in the day was like pre at Boreal. Like right. you're you're skiing, you're hiking a flat rail all day with your buddies. And they're like, I remember there was a stage where all of us would show up with our brand new outerwear kit, with our <laughs> goggles, with our helmet, brand new mittens and everything. And we're dying out there, right. ruining our, our new outerwear, you know? And then you kind of realize like, okay, maybe there's like an in-between where I can get the minimal function I need out of a piece of outerwear to ski park and also be comfortable and not look like I'm going to space. in order to participate in this uh, action sport outside, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's an accessibility thing and that's like one of the things that like all right. Y- yes, we all want to make nice outerwear. We want to have that stuff. There's definitely a place for it and by no means like I mean shit, we're sponsored by Mammut right now. Like that's a that's obviously a super technical outerwear company, so they're probably like rolling their eyes listening to this right now. But it's like it, it's true. You want to make it so that people feel like, "Oh, now I have this thing." Cool. Now, now I'm in. Now it's worth the investment, right? Like, the, there's got to be as as little barrier to entry as possible, and and clothing shouldn't be one of them. And I think so far, what's on the Coswell site, like, that's a place where you start, right? Like, you make simple stuff that people want to attach themselves to.
1: Exactly. Like, and that's kind of what I've been leaning on with Coswell right now is like the, I guess the the logo and the the meaning behind what I knew the brand to stand for, and that really is right. the only reason why I feel it was worth trying to bring back, you know, I mean, like uh, to, to speak to joystick as well. Like I really think that if joystick didn't have the, the value that it does to like the earlier generation of free skiing, it would just be another pole brand that I wouldn't have cared. Like, cool. Put a surface logo on a pair of poles. Let's sell poles. You right. know? But uh, like Joystick to me meant something to free skiing. And I really think that Coswell, um, like, has, like, maybe it doesn't have the same meaning to free skiing that Surface and Joystick did because it was more short-lived, but I still feel that it has, uh, like, a a vision and an identity to get behind, and that's where I see the value in, like, I guess these up-and-coming brands, you know, and, like, what we, why I can even justify making sweatshirts and hats and stuff for Coswell right now, because it's a, uh, a brand and an identity that people want to get behind. And in all reality, that's all people are really looking for anyway, is
0: something to identify with. Yeah. Especially on the internet. It's like, that's, that's the thing It's like, you got to find your, find your shit. Can I, can I ask you, you're of the right age where like saga and first drop was like, that was the shit at that time like during the 2000 and what 7 to 2013 14 something like that until saga fell off what happened do you know what happened with saga like what is the story there like it just fell off the cliff, like off a cliff a few years ago and nobody will give me a straight answer yeah i mean uh, i'm i'm not too familiar with what actually has happened like in recent
1: years with it i know like i really saw Saga again, like I was saying, as being super successful because it was bringing something to the table that was being neglected by totally. all the other Adirondack companies, you know. Yeah. And then um, I think that, like in my opinion, I think it just got harder for them to compete with with North Face when North Face mm. like made it very clear that they're willing to do the same stuff. You know, you look at the stuff Walsh has is wearing and it's the yeah. colors, you know, like it's what Saga used to make their mark with was bright colors and interesting color patterns that that other people weren't willing to do. And then when the other outerwear companies started to be able to produce the same thing, it makes it more difficult for a brand like that to exist. And um, yeah, I I really, I've also been curious So if you ever do find an answer as to like exactly what happened, I'd I'd, uh, love to know as well. But I I know that it seems to be more or less absorbed by Spider at this point and all the Saga (laughs) athletes are now Spider athletes. Uh, which is a hilarious
0: that. flop like oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> it's uh and it's funny because like i just remember like being in the shop kids frothing to get like the new saga draw like you have it and, like people are just like flocking in to get it as soon as like they can and it sells out immediately and i'm i remember looking at it like technically this shit is garbage like it is like it is a straight cardboard box that you're putting on your body until it started, it did get better but like In the early years, it was it was trash. But this is to our point of like that's what people were like. Oh, my favorite skiers are in this. This looks cool. That's what's up, right? Totally, yeah. And I mean, uh,
1: like I think um, Saga really did thrive from like what I saw. Like when I uh, when I was eighteen, I got my first job at Windell's. Like I just I left Tahoe. I, I went up there as a digger on a whim. I got hired by Austin Stevens, who was the founder of Saga, who was also the head coach at Wendell's at the time. Uh, a bunch of diggers got fired. I got hired on, on like literally on the fourth of July. I was up there on the fifth of July. I wasn't supposed to get paid, but I was going to work up there all summer. I couldn't be more thrilled. And it was like because that was the cultural hub. That was where Saga like became a. I feel like a core part of the culture that was just so entwined with what the like new schoolers, uh, like really connected part of the free skiing scene was. And it really, like, I feel, I mean, there are are companies that come and go and like, I feel like have that really cool value, you know, but you see the way that Saga used to do it, the Wendell staff sales, the way that I used to see people selling Saga kits that they (laughs) used heavily for a year and kids are still paying top value because, they can't buy a jacket that goes down just above their knees right. without it being a, a bell, you know, just looking like a giant bell on their torso. <laughs> right.
0: Uh,
1: and then, yeah, it, it really, I think like the fit really did a lot for it. And then once the sure. other people started to figure out the fit, it kind of became more of a level playing field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I did text Austin and I never got a response on like what happened. And it's like, so I'm always like, I'm kind of chasing that. That's like a story I'd like to get one of these days is, is figure out what happened and why the death. Cause it was like a slow death. It was like, oh, they're not, you saw it on New Schoolers, right? That it's like, oh, they're not shipping orders. Like order, like where's my order it disappeared? Like this kind of, and then once you start to see that, you're like, okay, what, what's going on with the company? And then it's just non-existent now. Like it was just a weird disappearing death. <laughs>
1: Totally. Yeah. And I mean, um, like with a lot of, I feel like a lot of stuff, I just feel like if the, if people aren't like passionate about continuing to change and like progress the brand image, then, then it will fizzle, you know? And, uh, like, I, I feel like that with, with surface, like right now, like had I not decided like, okay, like I've got a vision for this and this is why it's worth doing to me. And this is where I'm going to go with this. It wouldn't be worth it to just do another ski brand offering the same thing as everyone else and doing that. So, Um, yeah I'm I'm really I am curious about the Saga thing like I really do I thought that was like there's certain brands that had such a legacy in skiing like uh, Cyber Cartel back in the day that like when when it went out that hurt because I feel like a part of free skiing leaves with that you know and I really feel like Saga had that and over years I feel like I got irritated with how saturated everything was with Saga. And maybe that was part of the problem as well, that everyone had it and they could access it. For sure. Maybe when it was more limited. It was a, a bit more obscure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Server Cartel. Holy shit. Like, that logo was good. That was a good company. And then it just died. And then same deal with uh, with Sessions for a few years. was, like, completely gone. Like, people liked that shit and then it was gone. It's uh, And now it's back oh. again. But it's, like, it's very, it's a little weird, but... I don't know totally
1: yeah it was like orage like how many times oh, that yes. brand and like i Holy totally shit. like like it doesn't mean what it used to mean at all so like what's the point of being the brand with the same logo if it just absolutely doesn't represent what it like did at one point in time
0: that's funny you say that because that's the brand orage is the brand that i think of when like you think of a brand that doesn't have an identity anymore that's lost their identity and has no idea what they are that's a rush to me because they make nice shit. It's just that every few years they like decide to be a different, like to target a different audience and then fuck the rest of the audience.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it entirely <laughs> like, like deciding like, okay, we just decided we've been focusing on this tiny fraction of the market and we don't care about them anymore. And now we're, we're looking at this, you know, I mean, to a lesser extent, I'd say Solomon did a similar thing years ago with like they had, they were so big in the park realm. Oh, and, like yeah. they were so respected and then they just failed, you know, like you look at Solomon now and I mean, again, Solomon has some fantastic athletes still like Noah Bowman is my favorite competitive skier to watch, like especially so in the half pipe. And like they, they have some of the right skiers, but they just kind of decided, Hey, park isn't our game anymore. We're going to, we're going to do up something else. It's big mountain only. And they just, gave up on it. And I feel like skiing, like as the small community that skiing is, you really don't realize how easy it is for these people to shift business-wise without realizing what they're doing to affect personal connections and relationships that you've built Mm -hmm. based on identifying with stuff over decades sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to explain that it's funny, brands don't have to explain it necessarily directly, but especially during that time period, you had shops trying to explain to a consumer that, oh, Solomon doesn't care about you anymore, or this brand doesn't care about you anymore. You're not worth their dollar the way that they thought you would be. Like, so it's just, it's a very weird, like Solomon Suspects, for example, like we were selling the absolute shit out of Solomon Suspects and SPKs and all that shit. And then it was just gone right like it just disappeared and then they stopped caring and you could tell they stopped caring because they brought out like this TNT thing and it was horrible looking and it like had all this over tech overbuilt shit and then it just slowly burnt out and burnt out and burnt out and like don't get me wrong as far as freeride stuff goes they have some of the best freeride stuff and the best freeride team probably in the world but it's and maybe they found their niche now and that's where they're gonna live forever and I kind of hope that's the case but and I'm all for brands expanding but it's just weird when you go oh yeah we're expanding but this little corner we don't like you anymore
1: yeah especially when it's like you uh, you are a part of the corner that you felt drove them to success exactly. through your eyes you know, like, and then for them to just turn away from it like that just uh, demoralizing uh, if anything like to be somebody that like again I, I was like die hard Solomon for years and uh, when when I got approached by Surface um, and, like, ended up making the switch, it was a really tough call because Solomon was still a heavy player in the realm. But at that time, I kind of – I guess I saw the writing on the wall a little bit. I was, like, realizing, okay, like, they, this is a bit contest-oriented and, like, this kind of feels like a football team. And if I'm not the starting quarterback, I'm probably not going to be playing for this team that much longer, you know? Um, yeah. And But, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's, it's frustrating because you just see how – uh I guess that's where you see brands' true colors, maybe. Like Maybe that's how you, you just realize where their head's really at and if they actually are dedicated to the, to the scene or if they are just looking for the new avenue in which they can succeed. And I can't fault them for that. Um, but right. I, we've seen a lot of brands that were heavily involved go by the wayside. And uh, it's hard to explain it other than just looking at bottom line and realizing that they decided it wasn't worth it anymore.
0: Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize too, is a lot of times it's like we talked about before we even started recording. It's like, it's one person sometimes that makes that call. They're like, this is, it's a small enough industry where you can just be like, look, this isn't working. Here's our pivot. And then everybody gets on board, right? Like that's that decision sometimes in skiing is, is very like, it's very much one human being making that call. And I think that's where sometimes I generalize a lot where it's like, this brand's like, fuck you. This brand's like, see ya, this brand's committed, but it's all like, you put the right person in the right job, they'll figure out what works for that brand in a certain way. And I think that's kind of what you've done at surface is like, you're committed. You know what the, you have an idea of the direction you want to go in and that's that.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, that's uh and I, again, like I said, I feel like that's the only reason why, I wanted to be involved in, uh, surface. And like I, when, uh, when I started working with surface, like I was talking to other ski brands that I thought that I like would potentially want to work for. And it's because I'm a diehard skier that I feel was raised by this industry. And I have a passion and a direction in which I feel like I could push something. And it, it really is the difference of having one person at every brand, you know, like, and, and you can go through the, the ski industry right now and I feel like look at any company and look at the one person that really is making those decisions behind behind closed doors and understand where they're headed based on where that person sees the sport going, you know, like it really, uh, I feel like everybody sees the ski industry as like, so these, these brands and stuff as such big entities okay. that like Uh, are like polling people and asking all these questions. But in reality, like I I genuinely feel a lot of these decisions are being made in a really tight knit group with people that maybe aren't seeing all the avenues. And, uh, yeah, with with Surface, like that really, again, that, that was the only reason why I felt like Surface still, in my eyes, had value because there was something in the ski industry that was not being catered towards, like, partially towards the um, accessibility front and like trying to show success on all levels of skiing you know like I don't I, I felt like there was still something that could be done And again there's tons of brands that I think are doing a good job of showing other types of high level success and things within skiing but I I felt that that was what we could do with surface and had a vision for that and uh have just been trying to kind of ride out that vision and uh yeah play it day by day as to where the future of the brand goes but that's like i i cared enough about it that i wanted to force involvement if that makes sense
0: (laughs) but that's what you have to do sometimes is like actually like put your foot in the door and like even if the door closes leave your foot in the door right like it's that kind of thing
1: oh exactly yeah and i mean like surface i had like i rode for them for years the brand had pretty much dissolved. I was no longer involved. And then, uh, yeah, I pretty much just forced my way back in just by like emailing with the owner <laughs> and like, Hey, like, uh, like I, I see you're, I see you're trying to revamp the brand. Uh, like I, I see that you might be in search of some type of direction. How can I help? Like, what, what can I do? Like, is there a place for me to help with this? Because I, I want to see this thing live. I don't want to see this thing die. <laughs> like right. how, how can I help?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very yeah. That's a very rare situation. Not many people would like stick their neck out for a brand like that and like want a a singular thing that much. So props to you for that. That's a it's kind of nuts. Uh, yeah,
1: and thank you. I uh, again, I feel like I like Surface. Uh, Mike Schneider, the founder of Surface, I feel like did so much for me throughout my like early days in skiing and like really made me feel like it was more than a brand and just an identity by like what you're riding on a pair of skis and made me feel like it actually had a, a a personality more or less, like something that really gave a sect of skiers that didn't have a place to fit in something to identify with. And uh, I, yeah, I really wanted to preserve that in any way that I could, uh, whether through changing or otherwise, you know, but I, yeah, definitely forced it a bit, but I'm now, Happy I, I did and uh, put myself in that position because in the beginning it definitely was not <laughs> as smooth. <loop-locking.
0: laughs> what was one of the biggest struggles in the beginning? Like, what was one of the things that you were like, okay, this is going to be an uphill battle for a little while? Oh, I mean,
1: the the biggest one was the uh, ski design and durability. Uh, like, oh, yeah. the, if you go on New Schoolers forums, like the only thing that people say is, oh, surface durability is crap. You know, those skis are terrible. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, no, there was a period of time where the park skis were bad, flat out. Like, I rode those skis, they broke. I it
0: sold happened. those skis, I but warrantied those skis. I know, like, totally.
1: Like, they and they just, like, they at, the, at that time, it just like park, park skis were still being developed in, right. in terms of like what you actually wanted out of the ski. And they they had a couple years where the, the skis broke, and that kind of set the tone for now. Like, that's still the only feedback you get on the internet, like, yo, know, the these skis are crap, it's like, okay, man, have you actually seen any of the, like, skis from the past five years, or are you talking about 12 years Yeah, you're talking about you're, your life And uh, I'd say that was the the biggest thing, was just, like, trying to kind of prove to people that, like, my, my main focus was making a ski that's going to stand up to abuse. You know, I, I understand the issues with breaking a bunch of pairs of skis and wanting to be out in the park and especially when you're learning to ski park you break more skis you damage more edges you're just not as soft necessarily on your skis as you might be able to learn to be when you're uh, a little bit more experienced in the park with getting on and off of rails you're tearing out edges all the time um, and I mean I guess that does happen still when you're more experienced in the park just from doing harder and gnarlier things but uh, I, I really, that was my goal in the beginning was I, I need to change the the perception of, of these skis. I need to make sure that they're going to hold up and that they're, that's not going to be the complaint. That, that's the only thing I don't want to be the complaint with these skis is that they're going to blow up and that people aren't confident in the, in the durability and like what the actual ski brings to the table.
0: Yeah. So what changed there? Like what, what actually had to change physically for that to be a non-issue anymore?
1: Um, So I mean, pretty much it was just starting from scratch. Uh, So like when I started with Surface, we pretty much were in a position in which um, Steve, the owner, had purchased X amount of pairs of old models of skis, like uh, went to the factory, had them reproduce skis that hadn't been produced in a few years. Those skis were the blank, which is a heavily cambered, very stiff ski, that is just not what park skiers are looking for anymore. So kind of. My first year was trying to just get people on something that said surface and assure them, hey, man, you're going to have enough of these that you, you'll be able to ride this ski. Like, this is athletes that I'm talking to because like, right. I wasn't really necessarily focused on getting these out into the world and having people purchase them. Um, but I, yeah, started from scratch and just redesigned, shifted to a new factory, and um, just, yeah, kind of went at it with a completely different approach, redesigning all the skis and just starting anew with a vision of the type of ski that I think people actually wanted and needed for today's style of free skiing at all levels, uh, from the beginning to like high-level skiers. Right. Um, yeah, that was kind of the, the, the big project at the beginning, is just like, how, where do I start? How do I design all new skis? And working with services old engineer, who had worked with them through all the three-stage rocker skis, too Uh, because he was the the connection at the point in time now my my ski engineer is uh, one of my best friends Noah Curry uh, who I did the good enough videos with for for years and traveled all around with Um, so he's our main engineer right now handling that stuff but it was just yeah working with an engineer somebody that knew the math on it to how do I develop a ski that's more current with what people are actually looking for how do I stand up to the durability of what skis need Uh, people want flex now whether they understand what flex actually means or does for a ski that seems to be the key word that people ask when they're buying skis so i wanted to make something that you could actually flex <laughs> like yeah. uh, the old surfaces were two by fours pretty much. the park skis at least were right. very stiff all their skis were some of the stiffest skis i think you could ever find and for the three-stage rockers that was necessary because when you have a rocker that dramatic you have to have something to, to back it up but the park skis were just too stiff for modern park skiing in general with the way that people are approaching features these days.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think everybody wants like that super soft, buttery, like floppy type ski these days. Like, and they don't even really know what they want. I think everybody just thinks that they're going to become like Alex Ackle, like by having a super soft, like it's, it's a weird thing. That's kind of taken over skiing a little bit, or at least in the freestyle scene, where like, everybody's a swerve god you know like it's which is cool like i'm i'm down it's just funny that that's happened so rapidly right like the bunch exists and now this whole new category of skiing has opened up totally i mean
1: and i i really like i credit the bunch with a lot of like the direction in which skiing is going right now just in like the way that people are looking at features these days and uh in my opinion i feel like it all boils down to relatability you know like you you can watch x games and see somebody doing a 1900 over and over and never really want to ski because you can never comprehend what is actually happening like you'll never see a jump that big in your life if you're living on the eastern half of the u.s and you're not like taking trips out west so the i think the thing that the bunch really did was show people that there's ways to succeed on smaller features without even leaving the ground, like turning a roller into the only feature that you would want to spend any time on in the park. And you need to have a ski that can make you have fun on a roller. <laughs> like, uh, Cause then that's how you're going to get involvement, you know, like get the people in the Midwest that only have a down bar at their little resort that they're hiking on or hitting on a rope tow all day. How do you make that feature as expansive as these crazy terrain parks you see out west and make people want to keep going back for more because it's an addiction that they're trying to feed
0: right yeah it's yeah they've done a good job with that like it's it has become it's funny for a while i feel like park skiing in general was not something like people cared about it for sure but it was like its own niche versus now i feel like it's part of skiing right it's like part of somebody's arsenal when they go skiing it's like can you ski park cool we'll go ski park for a little while we'll go ski the rest of the hill we'll go ski everywhere right and you can kind of use the whole mountain as your park as opposed to it just being like let's hit rails let's hit jumps and then we'll go home right like it's a it's almost evolved to a point where like it was such a big deal when like sammy carlson or tanner went into the backcountry and like started sending shit there right Now it's like almost the norm is like you treat the whole place like it's a like it's a park almost.
1: Totally. And I mean, like in my early park skiing days, like I didn't necessarily have much of a use for a soft ski because the way that I looked at skiing was folk style oriented. You know, like is this ski going to get me onto this rail, off of this rail with a spin on and spin off and into the next jump and hold up through the transition and land? cool that's meeting the requirement of what I need in the ski because that's what I'm doing every day and I just think people are a lot more open to the idea of turning everything into something that they can have fun on as well as like the the amount of places that actually have a park like a functioning high level park to do to do these high level unbelievable tricks that people are achieving now like that's less and less by the day. There's just fewer and fewer resorts that are gonna put the money into making these parks with pristine features. So I really do applaud the the category of scheme. that's just finding a way to turn the whole mountain into your personal jib, you know, like finding benches and stumps and like I, I cannot give enough credit to like what I feel like Vishnu and the whole Vishnu yeah. crew has been doing over the years because like A, when that ski came out, I was like <laughs> This isn't going to work. That ski is too soft. People yeah. won't be able to see it. Period. And then I came to realize, no, like that actually is what people want because most people don't need to hit a 70 foot jump every day. Right. Most people will never see a 70 foot jump. They're just trying to have fun in the in the park that's available to them. And I really think that that uh, what they're doing and what some of these other brands are focusing on now and like what the bunch did really focuses on opening up people's eyes to what is possible on a more accessible level like uh, I I just feel like accessibility helps a lot with this and when people see what Henrik can do on a 90-foot jump in X Games that's not necessarily relatable because when will they see a feature and a park that big or I mean half pipes. like I I had this conversation with Kyle Smain recently that I just feel like half-pipe skiing is is dying just because who's ever even seen a half-pipe like unless you're dedicated (laughs) to being a half-pipe skier there's like seven in the world right now, period. Yeah. And they're hard to get to. They're expensive to ride. They're 22 feet and they're they're scary. And I feel like if they, I feel like we made a big mistake stepping from 18 to 22 as the standard because if 18s, if 14s were still a thing, I think that there would still be more half pipes and there would be more people that experimented with transition skiing. And I, I, there's a lot more to it than a 22 foot half pipe. And we've lost a lot of it because it's been, it's become finite to the competition circuit pretty much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I think I've had this exact same com- conversation with Kyle. Like it's it, because he's so connected to that half pipe scene still. Like, and I almost feel like every time I talk to him, it feels like he misses it more and more like he wants it, but he also doesn't want it. It's a, I, I never catch the right, I don't think I ever catch the right vibe from him in terms of what he wants to what do you want to get out of pipe skiing or what do you want to see in pipe skiing these days?
1: And it's, it, it's tough too, because I feel like, uh, like for him, I feel like it'd be hard not to have resentment towards the system that like <laughs> right. that is, that is producing this, you know, cause like at any point in time, hard cut Kyle's the top 10 half pipe skier in the world at any point in time, hard cut. He's the fifth best American and you only take four to the Olympics. So how uh, can you yeah, be yeah. one of the 10 best in the world? and be neglected on the world's largest stage so frequently just because of the system. And like the way that it's going, is just, I just feel like nobody skis half pipe for fun. Like I really, sure. um, I thought, I, I thought Isabel's uh, interview was really cool. And I, I've spoken with her about this, That I think that there is room for people to ski half outside of contests. Like why, why isn't there, why isn't that something that people do for fun other than the accessibility? There are not half pipes period like, yeah, right. and now half-pipe seems to be something that you need a credential in order to access. Like I really, I can't remember the last time I went to a resort and there was a public access half pipes that anybody could drop into. So that's going to cut down on the barrier of entry regardless. But um, I really feel like there's so much more that can be done in half pipe and in transition skiing in general that is just being left on the table right now. And uh, like, I, I ran the Instagram account handplants across America for yeah. for years uh, until I just kind of I have too many Instagram accounts that I'm running for business purposes, so I can't <laughs> log into one more. But like, I, I mean, I I had like a my own personal cult following of hand plants and an interest in like <laughs> that specific facet of skiing, you know. And I really feel like that's underutilized because we're not seeing as many transitions anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, it's true. That's that's really funny. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's changed. And it's, I think we can harp on that for a million different reasons all day long. I think whether it's because of like, okay, the conglomeratization of ski resorts or whatever, right? Because like, okay, Vale owns a bunch of resorts. They care less, right? Like Corinthia is my home park. Like it's my home, Mount Snow is my home mountain, right? Like that park used to be the absolute shit, right? Like it was like everything to everybody in New England and beyond, and now it's like every year we've watched it shrink more and more and more and more since the veil vale purchase. And it's like from a bit, and you know that that was always the intention because, like, I don't know if you've seen the new lodge, but it's like a fucking medieval castle. Like it is not. <laughs> this is not. Before it was like a shitty old building. Like people would like drop in off the roof and like just you know ski on the handrails and like that was like what it was. It felt like a core park lodge. Now it's like you go in there, there's like fucking giant fireplace and stone wall. It's like, it is just such a bizarre place. If the intention was to keep the park crew. Totally. happy, Right. Yeah. Like this is not, I don't think anybody asked for this. I think if, if you asked them, they'd probably be like, let's build better feature. Like let's build this. Right. As opposed to like, let's build this, this castle and have less parking. And then it's paid park. It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, I just, I feel like that's the way skiing is going in general. And it's, it's sad for people that like, I feel like are really passionate about free skiing specifically, because if if I was a resort and I was looking at the bottom line, parks are super expendable because what percentage of people are using and adequately using and needing to use a park and then that like a park, let alone a medium or large size park. Like I can, I can understand every resort needing to have. A small park because when people buy a lift ticket they want to know that they can go cruise through the park hit a jump or two not get yelled at by somebody that feels like they own that area but then you look at like the big parks the amount of money it takes to maintain them the amount of resources that they're putting in to maintain and facilitate these parks and then the amount of injury risks they're putting themselves into incurring what is what is the benefit i i see why people are cutting it out and it's a shame that uh, that that is the first thing that seems to go, especially in these larger resorts. You know, they're, uh, I, I remember I, I rode it Heavenly for a long time growing up in South Lake Tahoe, and they, the high roller park throughout like, my teenage years was this unbelievable, perfect run with a lake backdrop uh, with five perfect jumps, rails all down the side. And by the time I was maybe 18 or 19, the resort decided and this is like coinciding with the bail purchase that that real estate was too valuable because of the lake view and they had to move the park to this run that never had the right pitch never got the right sunlight and just wasn't the right place for it and it killed the park skiing culture at heavenly that heavenly had like this amazing fun park skiing culture with a great crew lots of talent coming out of it and then they just move the park because people want to ski a flat groomer with a lake backdrop and get photos of themselves. And, yeah. uh, I mean, that's, those are the people that are paying to keep the lift spinning. You know, the, the park kids that are going a hundred days a year, but they buy a season pass are not the ones that the resorts are necessarily trying to cater to.
0: No, they don't give a shit about those kids. Are you kidding me? Like that's, that's for, sh- that's a for sure thing. And I don't think that should be surprising to anyone. And I don't think anybody should be like, Oh man, they don't care. Like it's just a reality. Like they just actually don't give a shit because there's somebody else that's going to pay what you pay in a year just to hang out for the week. Right. Like that there's that stuff exists, that kind of money exists in skiing. And that's like, that's part of the problem is like skiing's culture very much allows for the elite of the elite to just come hang out and do whatever the fuck they want, you know, and just like blow out a mountain town for the weekend. And that's all the money. Like I, I can tell you, like owning a shop in new England, at Mount Snow, you make your money in like four different weekends. Right. And that's because that's exactly. when the money's in town. Like you, I personally care very much about the skiers who are actually skiers that ski there every week, but I think it's a rarity to see that like, oh, we had a good week, this random, you know, random winter week on the hill, like, which is insane. It's just totally like that money flows in and you do tenfold what you did the weekend before, probably more, just because there's like the money's in town.
1: I mean, and like as a as someone growing up in a ski town, like those are the days that you don't even if you're past yeah, work, you're like, yeah. You're like to those results those days. Cause that those are the crazy days up there. And uh like coming from like like I, I feel like we my the crew of skiers I grew up skiing with, like we were not the most affluent. We were definitely like on a budget. We were not the ones buying meals at the lodge. We were not the ones buying stuff like from the shops at the, like from any shop, like we're just reusing stuff, you know, like we're not the ones putting money into the system and it, it kind of like, it's a shame, but it makes sense financially, you know, like For sure. they, they, they're not catering to the people that are not spending money there. And there's so much money in the, that is going into those ski towns that they're, they're catering to who they need to, I guess.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. They're doing what they can. And I think that's uh, there's, there's gotta be a fix somewhere to like make everything work in unison, but I just don't know. I don't have a solution. So I try not to like harp on it too, too much. Like until I can figure out a thing that works, like it's just, it is what it is. Like I, half the dudes at MSA, like I probably remounted their skis five times, right? Like you never mount, remount a ski more than three times. It's like the rule of oh, yeah. rule of thumb, right? Like I'm remounting this kid's shit. Or I remember earlier in the, air, I'm remount, remounting this kid's ski pair of strangers. Like, it was probably his sixth, seventh time. Like, and I'm like, dog, like this hole is mounted, is drilled on another hole. Like this is like it yeah. works, it doesn't work. Your binding's gonna be crooked. This whole he's like, I don't give a fuck. Like if it lasts me three days, it's three days I gotta ski and I'll go find somebody else's trash and I'll do it again. <laughs> I'm like, all right, man, like it is what it is. And that's actually Dang really that fucking cool though. Like for skiing. Like that to me, that's core skiing, right? Like that's like I want to go. There's cool. not gonna be a barrier. I'm gonna do it no matter what no matter what has to happen, I'm going to make it work.
1: And to the point that you mentioned earlier, like I feel like a lot of the resorts that are doing cool stuff are driven by one individual that is almost like a community figurehead at that point that is keeping the park involved, you know, like uh, Trevor Borelli at Sugarbush, I feel like did a lot for years just to like make sure that park stayed cool and like kept trying to make events happen and stuff like that. But when you lose these, key figures that you might not even understand exist, that's when everything drastically changes. And like, I I grew up on the south, south side of uh, Lake Tahoe, skiing at Sierra and Heavenly, and then I started going over to North Shore and skiing Boreal because Boreal was really the one that I felt like was trying to do the most for free skiing. It was like doing the most to connect free skiing and snowboarding and make it a fun, like pass was more affordable, parking lot situation was not a crazy walk that you had to take a bus or pay for parking the food at the lodge if we did have to buy it was more affordable um, but like people management changes and, and priorities shift and then you have a completely different landscape like you're saying with not snow like I mean uh, it just it, and it's a shame because like something that can be a, a staple and a stronghold because every single Vail resort used to have a top 10 park in the country for the most sure part. how many of them do now (laughs) like none of them one maybe like yeah yeah Yeah. and even then it's all yeah like breckenridge cut out their park like they have a park but like nothing compared to what they used to do from what i've heard keystone park is nothing like what it used to be and then you have woodward that's really the like i mean woodward is one of the only ones that's like actually doing something to help keep that sport going in summit County, which used to be the Mecca, used to be the place to go. If you wanted to ski, Oh, you want to ski five of the best parks in the world. They're all within 30 miles here, you know, like, and that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's dying out. Well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, that's like a thing that I'm hoping changes more towards the positive side of things, because I think what people are going to end up doing is like, the mountain is your playground, right? It's like, that's somebody's tagline from some brand. So don't fucking sue me or whatever, but like the mountain is your playground is a thing. Like it is like, that's what, like that's what it's going to end up turning into. And I think people are going to adapt their skiing to just being able to do whatever. And I think a lot of what surface offers now too is that kind of ski, right? Where it's like, you can just go skiing on the ski. You don't have to worry about what it's for, you know, in air quotes, like it's, you can just go skiing. And I think those skis right now, are like we work with fisher a lot that's for me their biggest the biggest positive change that they made in a long time was doing that ranger free like it's like you buy a ski that can just you can just take it and go skiing it doesn't matter if you want to like ride groomers with your mom or your dad or for yourself you can ski it if you want to ski pow you can ski it oh. if you want to go like rip in the park you can absolutely do that right so I mean, important. there's something to be
1: said for for specialized skis, you know. But I really think that the the trend right now is something that can do everything. You know, everybody wants the 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 one ski quiver, the, the yeah. one ski that can do it all, and that sure. that really is what what you need, you know. Because you are uh, like depending on where you're paying a hundred plus dollars a day to go skiing, like you may or may not have a park. So having a park specific ski isn't that useful if it, if it genuinely can't perform outside of the park. Like if yeah. you, uh, I, I really, I feel like in, at a certain age, I feel like you, you definitely would not want to tolerate like a ski that just did park. I, nice. I feel like that, uh, that's something where like, I don't know, maybe when I, when I turned 29 or something like, no man, I need something that can do everything. I can't just get a park ski anymore because I, I cannot justify spending my whole day in the park cause I won't be able to walk.
0: Yeah. And you also don't want to walk back to your car to like switch skis. You don't want to have to have multiple pairs of skis. Like even if you're lucky enough to have oh, two pairs of skis, it's like going back to your car to switch out skis in the middle of the day. Sounds ridiculous to me, especially with parking situations now. Like that's well, not, like, a, that's yeah, not a thing. Yeah, like we, you're not doing that. Yeah.
1: Taking buses and parking. Yeah, get and, like, the
0: just fuck to- out of here with that. One. No, <laughs> no chance no chance. Um, okay. Well, moving along. Um, I want to ask you about judging. I want to ask you how you got into it. Like what, why? Like, <laughs> that's always the thing that I'm curious about. It, Why be a judge? Why be a referee? Why be any of these things that like, you kind of just like, you're never right. Right. Like in everybody's eyes, you're you never get the right credit. You never get credit as being like, right. You just get credit for being wrong. I feel like it's one of those gigs. So why did you start? <laughs> why did you get into it? And what, how do you feel about it in current?
1: Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, and I ask myself that all the time, <laughs> uh, what, <laughs> uh, cause yeah, judging really has, uh, is a thing that you really only are recognized for doing things wrong. Nobody at the end of the contest. And like for the most part, I at the end of the contest, the last thing as a judge that you want anyone to be talking about is, the judging you want everyone to feel like everything went the way that they wanted it to you know but that's not the case all the time and um I grew up competing uh I like had minimal success going through the lower level contest circuits uh kind of apexing with a couple do tour um invites towards the end of when I stopped competing and one thing that I kind of always uh, was frustrated with was the judging like uh, I didn't I didn't understand it I didn't I, I felt like I was doing the things to put me in the situation to win, but it wasn't always predictable. I didn't know who the judges were. And um, I, I really uh, feel sense. Um, I mentioned this in the May Rand podcast that I did recently. I really feel like Steel Spence to me did so much for judging just by putting a face on judging, just by giving everybody a, a person to associate with, and to understand hey this dude that came from skiing that understands this sport he's the one that's the face of how we're being judged I can buy into that and um, yeah I kind of uh, I, I saw I saw how I was judged I' never really necessarily griping that I should have done better than I, I wanted to but I kind of came to the point where I was watching these contests I was complaining about the way that I thought they were being judged and like small things but I cared enough that I realized that if I was going to complain about it, I needed to be willing to do something about it. If I really uh, wanted this sport to maintain what I I felt it meant to me. And I I really feel like uh, that's the main reason that I, I stay involved in judging is I feel like free skiing as a sport that's evolving so much, if it doesn't have people that are passionate about the sport and coming from the sport and understanding the, the values by which the culture was founded and the sport uh, in freestyle moguls that we, that free skiing was built to get away from, um, we could very easily fall into pitfalls that would lead me to looking back at this sport in 20 years and not being proud of the sport and community that I feel raised me and shaped my life and um, was something that I was so passionate about for years. So I, I really, it was something that I just, kind of, yeah, decided if, if I was going to complain about it, I, I, I need to be willing to insert myself and try to be involved. And mm. that's when I, um, got my first, uh, experience in starting trying to judge.
0: you very honorable. Like this is the second time you've mentioned something that's like, Oh, like I felt like I had to do it like with surface. And then with judging <laughs> now, it's like, I felt like I owed it or I felt like I had to do it. Like, that's a very like, It's a very thoughtful thing to do to go into something like, look, if I'm going to shit on something, I at least need to like look at it from the other side. Right. Nobody does that, like especially in the age of the Internet. Are you (laughs) fucking kidding me? That's a crazy thing for somebody to imagine. I like I read comments sometimes and I'm like, this person has no ability to like step outside of themselves for a split second to even look at like find something objectively funny. Never mind, like actually try to make a difference in some way or another. So props to, for that, I guess, man, like that's, that's crazy.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, it uh, definitely doesn't, doesn't necessarily feel like the, uh, the, the cool thing to be doing or to be involved with like all the times, like I definitely like, like you were saying, like being a referee or something, like yeah, right. being something that pretty much you're positioning yourself to always be the bad guy in a sport that, like you love and care about so much. But yeah, like I really, uh, I, I felt like I cared about this sport enough that I wanted to insert myself in a way to give back and ensure that this sport maintains some direction of where, where I saw it coming from and the reasons for which I wanted to be involved in it. So um, yeah, really, that's always been the driving factor. And I really like with all the judges I work with all over the world, that's the one common denominator with everybody It's like, we're not, we're not getting paid like crazy. We're really like, we're doing this because we care about the sport. We're doing this because we are so passionate about this sport that we felt the need to take this abuse uh, like day in and day out with these contests and just put ourselves in that situation. And um, it, it really is something that like, if I, if I knew what my involvement in judging was going to become, I can't 100% say that I would have gotten involved with it. Uh, I, I got involved because uh, my good friend Pete Arneson asked if I wanted to judge because he noticed I was being a dick and criticizing the judging <laughs> moves that he was making when he was getting to do these things. And um, he allowed for me the opportunity to do it, and I, uh, I I liked it. And I felt like once I got involved that if I were to – quit then um, I was giving up on a sport and letting it uh, potentially go in a way that I just wanted to have some involvement you know as somebody that was falling out of the contest scene and not necessarily feeling like I was super valuable to any one sponsor uh, I love this sport and I wanted to be involved and yeah find a way to stay involved somehow
0: yeah yeah and I think there. With all that, like, the negative aspect of judging, I think there is something to be said for the people that get noticed as a good judge, right? Like, if you get noticed for how good you are at that, it's, like, the elite level. Like, once somebody starts saying, oh, Jason knows what he's doing, right? I trust that. And you kind of gain that respect of not only the athletes but the public. That's, like, you become kind of the gold standard. And I think that's something that doesn't happen very often in other areas where, like, yeah, everybody's a great skier. Like, okay, Tanner Hall is a phenomenal skier, one of the best of all time, but, like, people will, there's always that, like, shift between, oh, this guy's the best right now, this guy's the best right now, this guy's the best right now, versus, like, you can become that kind of gold standard as a, as a, like, as a judge.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I kind of look at, like, on the announcing front, like, what Van Balen used to represent and now what I feel Wallace represents, Mm -hmm. whereas, like, uh, if there was somebody in skiing that was announcing these contests that made me feel like they weren't really seeing or understanding our sport, I would probably try to figure out a way to announce, like I would try right. to want to be involved in that realm. But I feel like Tom is doing such a good job of like being the voice that skiing needs, you know, being that, uh, the not, not the one that they deserve, but the one they need, you yeah. know, in that situation. And it really uh, like, I, I mean, my my whole goal is just to like not have the athletes and the coaches and the community question my dedication more or less or right. like my like my uh, like yeah I mean good or bad that's all that you can hope for is that they trust your decision you know whether they agree with it or with or they don't and that's the biggest uphill battle constantly <laughs> is just uh, like on. On one day, you're every, like, uh, I used to say this back in the day, but, like, when Henrik wins the contest, you're the best dude in the world. Like, you just saved free skiing. But when Andre comes and wins the contest the next week, everyone hates you, and you're, like, you did something wrong because you recognized something that wasn't,
0: like, the face of core free skiing.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a razor edge <laughs> you're, you're bouncing sure. on with all of this.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I've, I've given Tom – probably too much credit at this point because like I think he's so (laughs) phenomenal at his job now like that commentating position that he is in has like set a new bar so quickly that it's like it's crazy to me because now all of a sudden you're noticing him right like you're noticing how good he is versus everybody else was kind of just like and no disrespect to anybody there but like they were just kind of there. Like you knew what they were doing. They were doing a great job, right? But now there's this new level of like, oh, I was very much the best at this, right? I can very totally. much talk to this because I've done it. Like I'm I'm here. I can explain the minute details, right? Like I can, I can even explain to you the terrain while I'm hitting the terrain. Like that's like, that's some of the craziest shit I think that exists in skiing right now. But I think that's why it works.
1: Totally, and I really think it brings a new dimension to it. You know, like I really think that Tom, uh, I like, again, I think Luke Van Valen did a phenomenal job for years, but when Tom stepped into that role, it, it was unbelievable how much the community just no longer had anything negative to say, you know? And like, at the end of the day, you look at X games and like, it does represent the largest event that our sport has had throughout its history. But it's a TV show as well. like And for, for the masses, like yeah. for 99% of the people, they don't understand or care that that the announcer got the trick wrong on every single feature, you know? But when Tom became involved, that was never the problem. And like, he was so closely removed from actually competing and winning those events that it just was like, okay, you, you literally, I mean, it's like with the NBA right now, like Draymond Green totally. doing his podcast during the finals. It's like, how can you ask for a more in tune observation from anybody other than this dude that's lived and breathed that is the, I mean, I, I'll give Tom so much credit for like where skiing is right now. I'd say is just a direct reflection of what he did in his super unknown all those years ago morphed into where we are today. Like he has shifted so much about skiing and now for that guy to be the voice of the sport on the highest level at the olympics i think our sport's lucky because most sports don't have that person and uh it really it brings a different level of relatability and credibility to those kind of events that like i mean again i love the announcers that used to be like uncle e was my favorite back in the day sal mazakela like those dudes that are just general action sports announcers but when you can have someone like tom that lives and breathes this sport and then is announcing it it just it adds another level yeah
0: yeah and you're right like you bring up the nba and it's like you look at inside the nba right it's like those guys are all players and they all can give you like the most personal analysis even post game or halftime or whatever and i think there's so much value in having people there yes you can have like a guy like the an Ernie for example like who just sits in the middle and kind of like organizes the conversation and make sure it goes the right direction doesn't get too much off track but you have the other guy you have fucking Shaquille O'Neal there right like you have and Tom Walsh is that in a certain sense where you're like I trust this opinion and I take whether I agree with it or not I I think it's a valid opinion
1: totally yeah and I mean uh that I mean Tom Tom is like I feel like a good thermometer almost like at the end of the contest like I run into him and I'm like yo what did you think? Cause like we're in, we're in a silo during the event. Like we're just, we're the panel discussing these things. Like we don't really have any, we don't have any feedback. Like the goal is to not have any feedback while you're in there. You get all this, all the feedback once you leave the booth. But Tom is like a good first person I go to after the contest. Like, what do you think? Like, how did you think it went? And whenever his insight is just like, I thought you did it well. Like it'll break down a couple of intricacies that like, we had been talking about that I'm, I'm blown away that somebody on the announcing front had the foresight to be talking about that on air without me even understanding or having to fill him in beforehand. It just helps us do our job as well because then we're the judging system is explained better by somebody that understands it, by somebody that lived and breathed by that system while they were competing. And it uh, just gives a different perspective that I think is really valuable and helps, uh, helps the whole sport progress in the right direction.
0: Yeah. so the, on that note, what, what does that look like? What is the, how do you guys maintain some level of consistency when it comes to judging? Right? Because skiing is so style-based. It's so not just like persona based, but it's also like trick difficulty. Like how the fuck do you rate that? Like, how do you do, I, I have no idea how that, what that looks like. So how do you <laughs> guys manage consistency when it comes to judging because that's always one of the things that gets talked about the most as like, this is really important. Like if you're going to judge it this way, judge it like that all the time. Right. Totally.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a small group of judges, uh, worldwide, like that are doing this and are attending all these contests. And like, that's one of my, uh, big focuses right now is trying to encourage more people to judge because I feel like we're losing that group of people that wants to be involved and wants to maintain control of this. But we do, we do clinics every year just to kind of touch up and go over the basics of like where skiing is watching videos and staying up to date with all like the newest tricks and everything. But the real, like the thing that I would say keeps everybody consistent is we are all the biggest ski nerds that you could ever imagine. Like, the, the amount of skiing that we all watch, that we share together, we're all in group chats on Instagram, sending the most recent videos, uh, like anything that happens in skiing, we're watching it immediately. We're discussing it, like not necessarily on, a, on an intricate, you know, how does this score? Like, what would you do with this in this contest? Just like, so that we're aware of it. We're always turned on. We're always paying attention because Uh, It's a sport that we really care about, and everybody is tuned into Instagram throughout the year. During the contest, we watch all the practices just to kind of understand the level of competition that we're seeing and understand what the high and low end of each feature being used, what tricks people are doing, what new stuff is in the mix. Um, But yeah, I mean, it really, like, consistency is a a big thing. And like, leading up to the Olympics this year, I thought uh, it was really cool that, the whole judges panel that did the Olympics pretty much did all of the contests leading up to the Olympics, mm. uh, minus dude, all X games, because they're not the, the fifth events, but um, having that group of people doing all those contests, just kind of let all the competitors know, like, alright, this is what the judging is going to be like, Like uh, mm. whether, whether they agreed with it or wh- whether they didn't, at least it's predictable, because predictability is pretty much all that you can hope for, and that the contest is going to be judged the same on the same criteria on the same basis every day like we have a standard subset of criteria that we use from contest to contest from the beginning of like structured judging within free skiing to now Um, but yeah it really is consistency and like again all the judges that aren't at those contests are watching these contests at home studying them as if they were judging calling me after the contest and debating tiny intricacies as to why we made this decision over another decision you know like that's that's the funny thing about x games is like uh, i walk out of the booth at x games and i go on my phone because again we don't touch our phones like outside influence while you're in the judges booth is a big no no you don't want any type of outside influence you're you're in there for your opinion you're trying to do your job and evaluate the contest. but i go outside of it and i've got messages from all the judges just like either like hey great job or like oh that was cool tough call with this or hey why'd you do this like i really i think i saw something on the feed that you didn't and like i got beef with it which usually is me giving that feedback to other people not necessarily other people yeah fighting with me about it but um yeah i mean it's just like a community of people that that really care and are really focused on trying to preserve the direction of free skiing and uh with that all being said the athletes are the ones that have dictated the direction of the sport. And all we're trying to do is stay in tune with the direction that the athletes are pushing the sport mm. and what they are assuming as the most, the newest type of progression.
0: Yeah. That's a really cool insight. Actually. What, what is your anxiety like stepping out of the booth after a competition? Like that's, I can't, As an anxious person, I I would like to know when you're in this little bubble and you're doing your best, and then your phone's blowing up, and you're outside, and you're like, "What the fuck? Like, what? What is that anxiety level like?"
1: It's a, I mean, it's pretty tough. Like, I feel like um, we usually leave the booth thinking that we did everything right, or at least to the best of our abilities. Like, we're we're only human. We're doing the best we can. But we all leave the booth generally, I'd say ninety five percent of the time, feeling good about the results. Uh, and then you hit the second wave of opinion. That, that's like what the internet has to say, what skiing has to say, mm. what the people that are outside of the booth that can reach you. And um, most of the time it's, I mean, we're, you hate to be told you did something wrong. You hate to be told you messed something up. Um, most of the time I'm, we're still more or less confident on our opinion and the decision that we made while we're in the booth. And I'll take the time if people are asking me questions Uh, whether agents, coaches, athletes to answer the questions and and tell them, Hey, this is why this decision happened. It's because of this, this, and this, like whether you agree with that or not, this is what we did. That's the result. And here we go. Uh, The real bummer is when you leave the booth and somebody presents you with something that now has sown doubt in the context in your own mind and makes Mm. you feel like you did something wrong for which, it's, I wouldn't say it's super common. X Games is the one I'd say it happens at the most, and that's because it has the most attention uh, from what I've seen out of every contest. Like, tr- the Olympics is a whole other beast, and that's, like, become – it's kind of taken over the place of X Games as the thing that everybody watches. But um, you come out of the booth at X Games, and, like, everyone's got an opinion. It's, it's not a World Cup where the contest happened in Italy – in the middle of the night and now you're on new schoolers the next morning reading the results and people are saying, well, I think that third place should have got first place. It's like, well, if you didn't really watch the whole contest, so I'm not really taking that as a valid, valid opinion. But when people watch the whole contest and then are like coming at you with some their point of view and like really criticizing you, it, it's it's not fun. Like it really uh, – it, it's not a great position to be in. Um, it definitely weighs on us. Like I've, I've lost a lot of sleep over – Things that now seem so insignificant within contests, but like, again, coming from somebody that cares as much about this sport and like the message that we send being the only time that our sport will ever get mainstream coverage, um, I want it to send the right message to people that we're paying attention to what the culture and what free is actually placing value on. And uh, when we feel like we got it wrong or that we missed something necessarily, it sucks. Like, it's, it's not and it really like getting those messages that are negative are are never fun. Like most of the time it is people that I, I don't feel like watch the contest as thoroughly as we watched it. Like I, I genuinely don't believe that almost anybody has ever watched a contest as thoroughly as we do as judges. Like the level of attention that we're paying to that contest is excruciating. And um, <laughs> for people to like question that it's like, all right, man, like, well, I, I watched everything. You're talking about one specific thing. If you can say that you didn't go grab a beer from the fridge, walk to the bathroom, have a side <laughs> conversation, and you saw everything, I'll have this conversation with you. You
0: know? Can you imagine what kind of sociopath would sit at home, like locked into their television, like watching every single thing that happened? I mean, if you do that, good on you. But I don't. I, you're a fucking liar. There's no way that anybody does that.
1: No, no. And the only people I know that have ever paid that kind of attention that are not in the judges booth are judges that are trying <laughs> to do the same thing at home. Like uh, my buddies, Adam Purcell and Toby Grotz um, in Austria and uh, Sweden, like they'll, they'll sit and they'll watch the entire X Games. They will not move. They will bring their notepad. They will take notes no that shit. they're judging the process. They will write down scores and they... Like, I, I have a great time having a conversation with them after the fact and, hey, what would you think about this? Because they've got a real opinion that I trust because they paid attention to the whole thing. But fact of the matter is not many people are taking the time to do that.
0: So. Yeah. No, it, it, you find that often where like people that have super strong opinions on things haven't actually either read it watched it done it like they're not actually they're just looking they attach themselves to one little thing and then it becomes this whole that's the argument against the whole production right it's uh it's really it's really funny there was a there's an i don't know if you read this article but there was an article in a magazine that came out fairly recently and it's like calling out influencers and shit like this um and like everybody just got attached that one little bit right where they talk about ppp loans and all this stuff and they didn't nobody read the article like 10 percent of the people yeah. maybe read the article and everybody on the like in skiing internet is like all in a hoopla about nothing basically and it was just such a bizarre situation and like the argument was like oh nobody read it like nobody read the article like and we kind of found exactly. that out more and more i was even doing it i was gonna do an episode on it and then i like realized like oh I'm doing an episode on a thing that I read that nobody else actually read. They read screenshots on the fucking internet, and now I'm like, I'm inserting myself into a thing I actually have no interest in arguing about because I can't have what you're saying right now, which is an intelligent yeah. back-and-forth conversation with people who actually know the whole thing A to Z, right? Exactly. And I mean, when I, uh,
1: when I first started judging, um, like, my first big contest that I got to do were Dew Tour, And uh, first thing I did when I left the booth I would go on New Schoolers and I would read the feed and like, and it, it hurt my feelings. Like I'd be like, "God, they think I'm a dumbass." Like these guys, they hate me. They really hate me. And then I realized, like, okay, I, I have to, I have to get rid of that level of stress. Like I never would go on New Schoolers and read a contest feed ever again because it's just <laughs> uneducated people that don't understand, don't fully grasp what they were even watching, and just are like, like you said, just so they've got one point that they're fixating on. And that one point means that you were completely wrong throughout the entire day and nothing you can ever do or be associated with. is like, yeah, you're
0: a pile uh, of garbage. Everything you do is wrong. It's this is the most ridiculous take I've ever heard. Like the amount of shit, even when I post an episode on, on new schoolers, I'm like, Oh my God, what is somebody going to say now? It's like, they just go on there to hate. It's still, I'm still convinced that the 15 year olds from when I was 15, that we're on new schoolers just being piles of shit are still on new schoolers being piles of shit and acting like they're 15. Like they must be. Unless a, they're like sprouting out of fucking that, trees.
1: That's actually new schoolers whole community base is the people that were mean to me when I was 15 <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're now like 32 and they're on new
0: schoolers still hate. It's hilarious because some of the people on new schoolers are the nicest people in the entire world. It's true with anything, but like it, the people that are just hiding behind a username, especially the real dumb ones are just like, they'll say whatever they want because it's never going back to them. Right. Like they're never being found. Totally. Like there's no accountability there. And it's, it's actually really funny. I used to get almost hurt by it too, to a certain extent. And then I was like, if nobody's going to say it to your face, then like, what is the, what's the big deal? Right. Like, what, we, totally. what are we doing here? Nobody's walking up to me being like, oh, you said a dumb question the other day. Like, shut up. Like, what is this?
1: And I, that, like, to that point, I thought that was, um, so Pete Arneson, who I met, uh, mentioned earlier, who was the person that got me into judging. Um, a couple years later, he got into announcing and was announcing due and we went on one of the new schoolers feeds and they were just ripping apart the announcing, like just saying bad things. And he logged in and was like, Hey, what's up? I'm Pete. I'm the person that was announcing. What do you think I could do better? And the tone changed immediately. Everyone, yeah. Hey man, like, no, you, you did a great job. We all like you a bunch. Like thanks a bunch for, <laughs> for doing this. Like we appreciate that you're even talking to us right now. And like there wasn't a negative comment. And that was like, not even in person. That was just somebody, Hey, <laughs> this is me. I'm the person. Like, what do you have to say? He's a better person and, than like, me
0: for sure. I like my to initial to reaction extent- is like, Fuck you. Like, you want to go? Let's go. Like, that.
1: <laughs> and to, to an extent, like, that's what I felt like I wanted to bring to judging is like, I don't think that it should be something that's behind the curtain, not talked about. You don't know who the judges are. Like, I genuinely feel if I'm putting myself in the position to evaluate these skiers upon the best performance of their life, I also have to be able and willing to explain why those decisions were made and stand up for those decisions, mm. too the athletes and to anybody that's educated enough to have an educated conversation about it. And that can be tough and has probably been the the hardest part about judging for me is like, uh, getting the courage to like, Hey, I'm going to walk into a room where people are pissed at me and I have to tell them why this happened and why I am confident in the decision we made in there. And I'm not changing my decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. There's very much like two different schools of thought, right? It's like there's people who are more comfortable saying what they feel on the internet. And then there's people who are more comfortable saying what they feel and taking criticism in real life, right? Like, and it's very much like that's, it's a hard split. I feel like very rarely do you find people who are like, happy to do both, right? They're okay with both sides of it. It is like, it's right down the middle. And those people are in one camp where it's like, I don't give a shit about what you say online, but if you say it to me in real life, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Or (laughs) it's like the opposite where it's like, oh, we could talk online all day. And then if we go in real life, we're best buddies. Like it's really, it's so bizarre to me. The internet is such (laughs) a stupid place, (laughs) such a childish, childish existence. Well, um, Jason, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate the time you've given me so far. Where where can people find you so they can yell at you about your judging online? Where can people find you um, on for surface stuff? Like where can people find surface skis, joystick, Coswell, the whole the whole bit? This is your this is your all in one plug.
1: Yeah, all encompassing plug. Uh, yeah, I mean in terms of any judging related stuff, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, anything. <laughs> uh, just Jason Aaron, but it's my name. Uh, main main plug with this is Anybody that has criticized me about judging before and has, had the, has taken the time to write a comment on internet on the internet, I think you might be a candidate to judge. Maybe if you have an opinion that strong, like me, you should be the one coming and getting in the judge's booth. I'd love to have them at a judge's clinic and be able to get them involved if they took the time to be irritated about any of this. Um, and we, we need more judges. So anybody that's interested in getting into judging, feel free to reach out to me. In any way, shape, or form, uh, and yeah, the surface, joystick Coswell front, uh, the the Instagrams, uh, surface skis, joystick ski, and Coswell, uh, as well as all the websites, surfaceskis.com, skis joystick skiing, and Coswell dot uh, all the products, everything we're doing, uh, really heavily putting out Instagram content on a daily basis, so trying to keep it fresh throughout the summer, so. Um, yeah if you uh, have any questions about that stuff feel free to hit up any of those pages again it's it's me writing back to all the messages <laughs> on all the accounts uh, and if anyone has any questions about the skis the gear or anything I'm yeah usually happy to chat I I try to find time to respond to everyone
0: Yeah it's got to be a difficult thing it's uh, it's very very again honorable to respond to all the messages it's I it's a thing that I tried to do for a long time very very hard and now i'm like losing interest a little bit and responding to everything because some of that shit is just like where are we going here like what is this yeah. like what are we doing the amount of uh, the amount of
1: sponsorship requests that a small ski brand receives on a daily basis is mind-numbing yeah and, uh, <laughs> my, new, my new pet peeve are the kids that send sponsorship requests but don't follow the brand on instagram it's like oh okay man <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: drive me that drives me nuts they do the same thing to me they like we'll have a real comment about an episode and don't follow us don't care they're just like you said this what? and i think that's the worst thing ever and i'm like you don't know what we do like get, like yeah. go away well, this? yeah you have no yeah go away just that's it go away so same same um well sick man this was great i appreciate the time